You talk family. What go on? What go on? This your boy D and Larry Frank with another edition of You Talk Winning at the Game of Life. And we got a treat for you guys tonight. We've been talking about it for the last two weeks. And like I said, man, thanks to our guy on the People's Show, You Talk, yours truly, Mr. Larry Frank Jr. I'm going to turn it over to him and let him introduce these wonderful gentlemen who are about to join us right now. So, Larry Frank, without any further ado, it's on you, brother. My brother, my brother, Coke Dog, what's happening? What's going on? Well, as we all know, man, sports is our escape from life. But unfortunately, when the game is off, life recommences. So, what I saw and what I was doing was at work, I wanted something different. I would listen to my music, my playlist, because I'm a truck driver. I'm on that road. I'm doing 12, 13 hours a day. So, I needed something a little bit different than music. I've heard all the music I needed to hear. And then it dawned on me, man, it's stuff that we're all dealing with, stuff is men that we're all dealing with, stuff is a people that we're all dealing with, and it's very prevalent, and that is mental health, the awareness to mental health and, and the situations that surround it. So uh, upon getting into that, I decided to uh, get on my streaming app and try to search out mental health and try to search out a mental health topic or group or whoever that was going to you know, be conducive to me you know, in my interest. So uh, I typed it in and generically it just gave me, you know, a bunch of mental health people and, and you know, I wasn't getting nothing out of it. So I said, well, let me be a little bit more specific. So I said, well, let me type in mental health from the black perspective, typed it in, picked up some great content, but it was a lot of stuff that was more geared towards women and I ain't no woman. <laughs> so it's only so much of that I can deal with. You know what I'm saying? So I said, let me go ahead and see if I could get lucky and get real specific. So I went ahead and typed in black men's mental health because of everything we deal with. Yeah. Typed it in, got me a couple of, you know, uh, resources that came up, checked everybody out. And I mean, they were all good. But I came across this one group, I guess, that we have tonight. And instantly, from the very first podcast that I listened, and I set it on automatic, and I just started listening to everything. These brothers really reminded me of, of what Devin and myself have here because it was just general conversation. It wasn't like therapy being thrown at you. It wasn't like trying to dissect nothing. It was really generic conversation from the lens of a black man. And... I'm happy to be able, I reached out to him, I sent him an email, I said, look, I said, we have a platform, we do sports, but we also like to do stuff that's pertinent to life, and i really hoping, you know, you guys would be interested in joining, and they accepted, and, and hey, man, I'm very appreciative, I turned him on to Devin, he's been checking him out, man, and, and he's hooked, and right now, without further ado, I would like to introduce the brothers behind the podcast the movement known as All Black Men Need Therapy. They are on various streaming sites. I'm going to let them tell you when they get in here. But please welcome to Utah, Chief and Prentice. We have a third one, Bell. He'll be in a little bit later because it's three of them. But we got two of the three right here. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. We need to get one of them, B. <laughs> we gotta get the applause thing. Yo, we gonna talk after this. We gotta get one of them, yo. 
Yeah, we got to get one of them. I like that. Oh man, that was. I know it could do all kind of shit too, huh? <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, it's some of everything, man. It's some of everything. So, I'll, I'll talk about that after. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, what I want to do is, like I say, Devin's gonna be just watching. I'm gonna be moderating, but I'm gonna be watching and listening as well. I'm gonna let y'all have the floor. But first things first, man. Uh, give you a brief introduction of of, of all black mini therapy and individually who you are and anything you want to let the, the the chat know. No, nah, it's on you, man. Come on. <laughs> My name is Chief. By day, I'm a dean of students at uh, the largest high school in the state of Connecticut. Um, I got three beautiful children who I love and adore. Um, I write poetry and shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's all I got. I mean, it's, it's crazy like talking about myself, man. I, I try to keep it simple. Like, I love my kids. I love my family. I love my brothers. And uh, that's all I got for you. Peace. Absolutely. All right, let's sing. Okay. Uh, my name is Prentice Powell. I'm from Oakland, California. Uh, I too am a, a poet and shit. Uh, <laughs> my, my whole life surrounds my pen. I've managed to turn uh, my passion into career, which I love. But more importantly, it's led me to meeting amazing people like Chief, who is one of my best friends and is actually marrying me in November. Let me you know, let's, so. let's reword that a little bit. I am officiating his wedding. <laughs> Whatever you call it, you marrying me, bud. That's how I look at it. You marrying me, <laughs> black nah, folks. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but no, nah, we, we we're here. We're part of All Black Mini Therapy. Shout out to our man Bell, our third partner. Obviously not on yet, but he's gonna tap in. And um, we really just started this podcast because we want to be better. But life sucks often, and um, black men need to get more comfortable with talking about our issues we all go through things we all have problems and i think if we expressed it more on a public platform as much as we do our success you know what i mean maybe some of the things that we require to make us feel good about ourselves uh we'd be better as a as a as a group man as black men so you know we're really just advocating getting healthy and like chief said we're not therapists um you know but we we do care and we love each other so you know we're trying to work it out together yeah, I think that's a key point. We like we got to make sure we put in the air. We are not therapists at all. And we we oftentimes say we're like the regular everyday dude, but we ain't the regular everyday cats. We you nope. know what I'm saying we don't like the word regular. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying we we try to excel at what it is what it is that we do. I tell people all the time like I may not be great at a bunch of things, but I'm good at a whole bunch of shit. You know what I'm saying? Dang. So mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we try to do. Try to you know put our passion into whatever it is we we, we care about and and go from there. That's what's up. That's what's up. So real quick before we get into it, just kind of let everybody know where they can find y'all platforms y'all streaming on. We are a lot. We are on all social media platforms at all black men need therapy email at all black men need therapy at gmail.com. So any social media platform you want to tap into, just type in all black men need therapy and we should pop up. Cool. 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 All right. So fellas, y'all ready? We about to get into it. We about to have a conversation because I know y'all are some conversational brothers, and me and D are some conversational brothers. So yeah, let's go. Let's get it. Let's get it. By the way, that's a nice ass house. Is that that, that ain't a backdrop, is it? But that's the crib. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I got. I got this cheap. I got this real cheap, man. I got a discount on this. It's called. It's called a Streamyard discount. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but I'm so glad you asked. Since we've been on this call, I've been like, yo, are we just going to ignore this plush ass couch and piano? You just going to pop up on us in, in Oprah's house. I'm sitting in front of the closet with doors don't close. <laughs> Look, I, try, I tried to change the game because normally when we do our shows, I got like Miami, 
images and stuff behind me. This hurricane theme. I said, well, we're going to put the U on the side just for the night. You know what I'm saying? So I said, let me let me come on out with the Chateau. I call this the Chateau, right? <laughs> hey, man, I don't know if you saw me when I dipped off stage, but I actually ran to grab a hammer so I can get to work around the crib the way yours is looking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Most I definitely. To I need to fix something. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. So... Getting started, I did a little research, and um, I'm, I'm going to be transparent, you know, like I said, I ain't going to tell all my business, but I'm going to be transparent because, you know, hey, we've all gone through, I've watched y'all podcasts, I've seen, you know, some of the stuff y'all have discussed. So, uh, one of the things that I looked up was, I was just trying to figure out just what triggers mental health, and I don't like to say mental health issues, That to me that has a negative connotation. I like to say either mental health situations or mental health challenges. That's just me. So for the mental health situations and challenges that I've seen or that I've tried to rather get a get a feel for, I looked up and did some research, and this is what I saw. It's called the tough guy syndrome. Now, this is something that I think we all have suffered from, and this is for, for, for brothers. It says right here, the more you speak and stand up for yourself, the more you're perceived as angry and militant. Um, basically... What's happening here is basically you want you to stop telling brothers to man up and start expressing our feelings. So, you know, that's something that I can honestly say that I'm guilty of. And I'm going to go ahead on into the first, like, chronological order where I think this begins. Because I know myself as a child in my teenage years, anytime something happened, Pops was like, don't show no emotion. Really, all men in my community, you know, if we were around them. Don't show no emotion. Don't you let nobody see you cry. You better man up. But, you know, I thought about something. You know, as a child and as a teenager, like, to me, and just let me know where y'all your thoughts are on this, it, it's not good to tell, you know, a kid or a teenager to just man up because you're dealing with stuff and you're just going to start, you know, sweeping it under the rug and not addressing it and, those are the seeds that fester into something, you know, that that hits you later on in life. What, what are y'all thoughts on that? Man, I, um, you want to go cheap for me? Oh, go ahead. You already started, baby. Go ahead. I, I, I trip off that because while you were talking, I started to think about how I've always said, and I'm realizing this just now with you talking about that and just off that comment. Um, I was going to start by saying I've been a crybaby my whole life, but I've been called a crybaby my whole life and i'm just now realizing when i was kind of you know thinking about my response i shouldn't be calling myself a crybaby like every i was an emotional kid i'm an emotional man i'm a very emotional man um i think sometimes we get we get emotions mixed up and you know can we curse on here let it fly i, I feel that we get emotions fucked up you know what I mean? As, as black men, we feel that we're not allotted certain emotions. So as a child, I was always in tune with how I felt. And I couldn't help it if I wanted to cry. As a man, I'm in tune with how I feel. I, I kind of feel like, you know, we are definitely taught that showing emotion is a sign of weakness. But what happens is, like in my case, you get older and you've had all these emotions all your life and you've convinced yourself that you're a crybaby or you're somehow weak because it's something that you felt like you couldn't control your whole life. And now here I am as a grown man realizing like, yo, I'm actually in the elite group of, of brothers who are in touch with their emotions and feelings and allow themselves to express it. So I, I definitely agree. It's, it's very harmful to tell children that they're, you know, 
I think emotion or not able to show certain emotion at a young age because then we get, you know, we fall into that lane of just, you know, constantly beating ourselves up when we feel certain emotions that we're entitled to feel like everybody else. Right. I think just that that key phrase and man up has such a it has such a like a, a diverted message because even right now at our age right now we if they actually to identify what that means we probably couldn't give a concrete answer so to say mm-hmm. that to a child is difficult <laughs> so in my case like stemming from childhood dad wasn't around so i latched on to my mom's right you latch on, that's what you do you latch on to your mom so my grandfather god rest his soul great man but used to tell my mom i was gonna be gay when i grew up because i was always on his on his shoulders I was always yeah. on her shoulders, you know what I'm saying? Always hanging out with moms, always wanted to go where my mom was at. That's all I knew. So he said I was going to be gay. And I think now that looking back at it, like you just said, realizing it, that's probably where a lot of my early trifling days came from. Like trying to prove, trying to validate, nah, I ain't gay. This is, you know what I mean? I'm a man's man type mm-hmm. thing because it was projected on me at, at such a young age. He said it. He said it quite often, you know what I'm saying? I was, and plus, I was like, P, I was, I was sensitive at a young age. I still am crying and whatnot. But when that happened, he would be like, he'd get that boy, you know, let the boy get that boy off your hip. He's going to mess around and be gay. That's what you say. So, like, them Damn. childhood things we may not realize carry with us until these adult ages. And sometimes we don't even, like, it takes stuff like like this. Right now is the first time I've actually acknowledged that. Me too. Right now. Like, right. I, 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 that I've made that connection. You know what I mean? Chasing these girls down because I wanted to prove to my grandfather that I wasn't going to be gay. Crazy how that works. Crazy. Absolutely. You know what it is? It's huh? giving yourself permission, though. Right. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, I, I think... I think when you allow yourself, when you give yourself permission to look at your childhood in a way that you didn't in the moment, it can tell you a lot. Right. It can one tell you thing, a whole lot. One of the things we mentioned in one of the early episodes was the, the cliche common phrase in the black household or many households is you the man of the house. Mm-hmm. A, lot of us get, a lot of us get that at a very young age. You now the man of the house. That ain't around. You the man of the house. You know how much pressure that is for an eight-year-old? Yes, we I do. We don't realize what that does to us in the long run. We, we, we fight so hard to try to be this man and realize that we have no clue what it is to be one. Mm-hmm. We just know this, is what, this is what we perceive a man to be, but ain't no man been around showing us what that looks like. Mm-hmm. True. You know, right. And a lot of moms, you know, they think that's the good thing because it makes us a little bit more mature or, you know, gives us something to look forward to. But at the end of the day, we're not taught what being a man is. <laughs> that's, that, and that's tough, man. I, I totally agree because I think when you tell a kid seven, eight, nine years old, you know, that you're the man of the house, that's that's detrimental because if you look at other kids of other races, they don't have the pressures on them like we have on us at that age. You know, I wish I can go, I can tell you, I can remember race was identified to me when I was in elementary school. You know, I wish I could have had a childhood where I didn't have to have my race acknowledged and know that there were differences. I could recognize that there were differences in the classroom, differences on the playground as we got older. You know, and and the sad part about it is, you know, and and Chief, you you, you brought up a good point when you said you acknowledged it because you brought me to another point. I believe that there's two things that we don't do that we have to start doing. What's up, Benny? How you doing, bro? It's uh, the identification and the acknowledgement. I'm 45 years old. And up until about maybe four or five years ago, I had identified it, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. Because I felt like, you know how it is with us, we feel like something's wrong with us. Like our pride gets in the way. And that's the thing about our pride. It, it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. So yep. um, moving on from that, let's talk about, we, we're all fathers here. So let's talk about 
those experiences as it transitioned into our manhood and as we had children. Now, I'll tell you this. I only did what I was taught. I only did what was done for me. I'm guilty of it. I've told my kids. I got one son, two daughters, and I've told my son, man up. I've told my girls, woman up. Mm-hmm. How did how did that that I guess that background of having been in that position? How did it you you, you approach a, a fatherhood rather with that? Did it cause any issues with that or what? So for me, uh, let me tackle this one first. But for me, it's a little bit different. Without with not having my father there. I've had this innate passion from a very young age. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew I wanted to be a. I knew I wanted to be a dad, and I wanted to be a good one. I wanted to be everything different than what my dad was. So, like, grow. It's not enough, just crazy. I'm realizing this shit right now, but it, it all comes in full circle. Like, with the with the with the courses I take, I took in college. I wanted to be an elementary teacher. You know what I'm saying I wanted to deal. With, I wanted to do every job I've ever had has been dealing with kids. So I take those lessons and implement them in my parenting and it's and it's and it's a way to like i come home now i work at a high school my daughter's just turned 11 i see something going on at work i come home and bark at her about it you bet not never you know what i'm saying and i'm teaching her stuff just because from from what i saw but I'm, I'm dropping these lessons in so i think when it comes to parenting i've tried so hard to ignore everything negative that has happened to me with regarding my dad and those things that you know that appear to be tra- traumatic for kids and change the spectrum for my kids. Like, what's crazy is with the man up and woman up thing. It's crazy because I, I encourage the way I do it. I encourage my daughter to be like super tough, and I'm way more sensitive with my boys, which is weird. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, right. I'm I'm allowing my boys. I'm I'm empowering my boys to stand firm in their emotions. And my I think I think maybe because I assume because my daughter's a girl, I give her that assumption that it's going to naturally happen with her to be as far as being emotional. And I'm mm-hmm. teaching her more of the to the tough side and, and empowerment side. And my boys get it, but like it's crazy how similar to their father they are by me just empowering them to be emotional. Like my sons have no problem crying. They're, you know what I mean? And my daughter is like broke her finger during a basketball game. Was like tape it up, Dad. I want to finish. Like that type of party. So it was, it's it's crazy how it happens. But you know, I, I think to answer your question, I think regardless of what has happened, I've made it a point to be everything that I I didn't have and everything that I didn't like. Wow, mm-hmm. I got um. I have two boys and two girls. So my 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 youngest are the girls, and my oldest are the boys. The boys are thirteen, and one's gonna be eleven uh, next month. And it's it's similar to Chief. I didn't have a passion to have a kid, but I think once I became a father, um, it was easy because I literally did anything I thought of because my father wasn't around, right? So I didn't. I mean, you know, I saw him a handful of times, and he just didn't handle his business there was nothing to compare it to and then once i realized what type of man he was which he's he's not a good man i mean honestly he's not to his core i kind of started thinking to myself like damn i wonder what would have happened had i been influenced by this man had i been around this man and i actually think it was a blessing in disguise for me not to be raised by him because it allowed me this open canvas with fatherhood now so now like when i think of cool things you know like i just I just do them or if I, if I think I need to go hug them or spend some time or take one to go do this and the others go do that, I just do it. And I don't have, you know, the template of this man who created me who didn't do his job to get in the way. And I think when I think of like manning up, I was the boyfriend, the husband, the ex-boyfriend, the ex-husband and the son growing up in my house. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, had a, I had a house key around my neck 
at six years old and spent all day by myself until my mama got off work and my mom was a cop you know what i mean so i had the experience where i had to be everything and what's unfortunate is that it's led me and my mother to no longer have a good standing relationship because i had to set boundaries as a man and right. these boundaries she wasn't used to getting and i wasn't used to setting and then it, it created this dynamic where i had to start looking at my parents as people and not the title and we've been talking about this on our podcast a lot i know i've been mentioning this on our podcast is that we have to look at our parents as people and remember that they too have a story they too have an upbringing and you know that does play a part in how they raise us so you know with my mom and the whole concept of manning up and all that i did that so with my sons i um you know i try to just have a healthy balance you know like chief said i allow my boys and my girls to you know say what they got to say i feel like my girls are naturally just tougher which is interesting um i don't want to keep going man but i, I definitely oh, you good you good the, the idea of manning up i think of my mom from that perspective and the roles i always had to play and then i think of right now where you know, we 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 don't have a relationship no more because of the boundaries I set and her unable to respect those, you know? I, so, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead, Chief, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I will say this. In terms of that man up thing, like, it's said more often than we think in, in families all across the world. But I think at, at that young age, we don't realize it. So we, I'm saying this to the parents, be mindful because at that young age, we'll wear that, we'll wear that title with pride. Man, you know what I'm saying? Have, man of the house, my chest is out taking out the trash because this is a man's job. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. You know, like I, at one point in my life, taking out the trash was like that's a man's job. Like I would get mad at my mom if I come home and she took it out. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. that was my job. That's what I, I, that was my responsibility, and I took pride in that. So I think we get it confused, or we get it. You know, we don't realize how much damage that. Again, it's not always damaging, but it can be very much so. so just parents be very mindful of that. Getting back to what. Uh, Prentice was saying about uh, having to wear those different titles. And I'm going to come to you, Prentice, and then Chief, I'll chime in, get your opinion on this too. Do you feel that when you have, now you having done that, Prentice, do you feel that that maybe stunted your growth to an extent into manhood? Uh, you know what? I, I think it, I think the it's weird. So I could do anything with my hands. My mom had me build a fireplace when I was 12 years old. You know what I mean? When my friends came over, they didn't want to come to my house because they knew my mom was going to make them paint, hammer some shit down. <laughs> she was going to make you do something that got to do with construction. So my friends never, you know, they just run into my room. Um, I, I, I say that to say I had to be a man at such a young age. What it did was it gave me, um, I think it gave me an advantage ahead of the game with other men because women saw how useful of a man I was. But it also kind of stifled my growth in the sense of I define my manhood by those traits, by knowing how to do X, Y, and Z, like chiefs taking out the trash, going to the store. My mom had me driving on freeways when I was 13 to run errands. You know what I mean? So I've been doing this for a long time. But once I got around women, I realized that what they defined as a man wasn't necessarily what I was doing. So now I'm here trying to build shit and do all these things for women and it ain't getting the type of response that i'm looking for and they looking for this and they looking for that and i'm like whoa but i do this you know what i mean so it kind of created um it, it made me realize i kind of had to go back to the drawing board and manhood was more than you know what you can do with your hands and running errands chief uh to to, to peace point yeah it, it, it there's i mean there's obviously various components of manhood but i think for me it wasn't more so about being, because I'm not really, I'm not the, like, 
you know, the girl's like, well, look, can you cook? Well, can you build the house? No, I can't, but I can find somebody who can. So I was always the guy. I took pride in being able to get it done. No matter whether I did it or not, it got yeah. done. And that's where, right. and that's where kind of like my manifestation of manhood came in because I firmly believe it didn't matter what the, what the, what the objective was. You put it on my shoulders, ask me to get it done, I'm going to get it done. One way or the other, it's, it's going to get done. So I think that that's where my, my pride in, in the manhood come. But outside of that, man, I think just just being a person of like a, of a competitive nature, it don't really take much to, get to, to light the fire. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever whatever that means in, in, to, 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 to challenge me for whatever, I'm getting it done because I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's just kind of how, how it's been. Still like that? Um, to a certain degree, except now I do it with a lot more knowledge, wisdom, and caution. And I don't, I'm not really, uh, as impulsive as I used to be. Like I'll, I've, I've reached out to you P in, in terms of certain things like, yo P I need, I need you to drop this on me before I, you know what I'm saying? Or I need right. you. So yeah. I, make, hey, let me, I make smarter moves now. Can I ask you brothers a question? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm at an interesting space right now. I'm in an interesting space in manhood, fatherhood, where everything's changing, right? I'm getting married in November. We moved. We've upgraded. The family's doing well. There's transitions. There's all these things. But one thing I'm noticing is that I feel like there's a shift in the definition of my manhood. And I'm not necessarily clear what direction the shift is going. I know it's positive. I know it's good, right? But... I feel like my responsibilities and where I'm headed in life and the direction I'm going is kind of changing how I want and choose to carry myself as a man. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of, I got my chest out a little more nowadays. I got my chin up a little higher. I got a little bit more confidence in, in the things that I'm saying, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with it yet. You know what I mean? Because it's a, it's a new phase. And I want to know, like, do you brothers ever experience, um, challenges within growth as far as your manhood goes like you guys ever find yourself like changing you, you know what i mean because they say you can't teach your old dog new tricks and i ain't labeling myself as old but i definitely ain't young no more but i definitely feel like you know there's there's things coming my way that i'm wanting to adjust to but i'm not sure i don't even know if i'm making sense to y'all brother you know like I'm no I, I feel you i feel you response for you though for sure yeah i feel you yeah so y'all like, that? i i do apprentice um It'll be 11 years for me on May the uh, 29th. And um, it was just more communication and having to talk more versus when, you know, before I got married. And that's Mm. something that I had to adjust to and had to get used to because I was just so used to coming and going before I got married. But that's just something that I changed to over over a period of time. The communication is a lot more. And and, and you have to do it. You got to talk a lot more when you get married, you know, Mm. and that was part of my growth there because I didn't know how to communicate before I got mad. You know, I was just, whenever I got mad, I could go to my place. She could go back to her place. But you know, when you have kids, I have two daughters, uh, seven and, uh, six and eight, I'm sorry. And, um, it just was a lot more communication when, I, as the years went by. So that's kind of where I grew at on the communication part. Mm. Well, I'm gonna say it like this. I don't take no offense in you saying old dog's new trick because I am an old dog. <laughs> and don't I'm say that. I'm like five years behind you. Don't say yeah, that. But, 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 but I say that. I, when I say old, I'll put it to you like this. Not in, not in age, but I'm 45 and I got married at 21. Whoa. Exactly. I, uh, I basically came up 
we all around the same age. Within five years of you know, we're all in our forties. Mm-hmm. We all watched the Cosby Show growing up. Now, I ain't right. talking about what happened in the last four or five years, Bill Cosby. <laughs> I'm talking about Heathcliff Huxtable, the clean version, you know. So, <laughs> you know, when it came to an example of being a leader of a household, a, a, a father, a husband, I think that was the model that we all looked at. You know, not just because it was just Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show. I think because it was just the whole mainstream America loved it. And I knew back in like 87, 88 when I was like 10, 11 years old. And I mean, I didn't know nothing about life. But I knew back then like, yeah, this is what I want when I grow up. So I think what I did, though, I wanted it too fast. Now, I've made it work. Me and my wife going to be 24 years on July 25th. Hmm. I'm about to be a grandfather. So, yeah, we've been in the game heavy. But when you start talking about evolving, there's nothing wrong with continued evolution even at this stage. I'm, I've just really gotten to a point in life where I'm still learning. But I've opened my mind up that it's okay for me. Like if I live to be 65, 70 years old, I'm, I'm trying to get incorporate this attitude to where, you know what, I want to learn something new every day. So that at the end of my journey, at the end of my life, when, when it's all said and done, I want people to say that, man, Larry was on it. Larry was always trying to do this. He was always trying to learn that. I'm just, I, I just love seeking knowledge. I love learning stuff. So um, when it comes down to what you were saying about evolving, there's nothing wrong with that. Just go in that direction that you're going in and, and just, just, just walk it one day at a time. You know, it's going to come to you, you know. There have been days that I ain't going to lie. Me and my wife, we, we, didn't, we didn't broke up. We didn't have breakups to make up many a times. <laughs> but like Devin said, it was a communication thing with myself as well. And it goes back to that, 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 that man up syndrome. You know, my dad, like he just died last year. God rest the dead. But he always told me, he was like, boy, don't you ever let a woman, don't you ever let a woman see you cry. Don't you ever let a woman see no emotions on that. But you got to remember, our parents, the generation, the era that they came from, they had to be hard. You know, if you really want to look at the origins, I think, of just the overall attitude, you can go all the way back to when they brought us here off the boat. Because when they brought us here off the boat, what happened? The men were demasculated. They were taken in the field in front of their women, in front of their children. And then, buck breaking, you know what that's all about. They watch their women get raped. They watch their children get abused and raped and, and, and whatever you want, slave, you know, everything like that. And then for those that survive it, what happened? The next generation, they're now the adults. But now all of this stuff is embedded in their head what they saw. So it's almost like it's generational. And I think as every generation passed to the next generation, you have just more layers of that trauma. And it just went from the beginning all the way down to right now and I know me personally when my grandfather and he just died a few months ago he was 94 but I can remember him telling me about working in the 40s and 50s and some of the stuff he had to go through and what he was called and, and this and that him witnessing people getting lynched getting murdered getting attacked that sticks with you because you know I hate when people say that didn't happen to you get over it no it didn't happen to me physically but when I hear these stories from people that lived in that era I take it personally because I can envision it happening to me because it happened in front of them. Mm 
So just to kind of rewind back to where we are, where you went with that, it's more or less, I think, it's, it's just let the evolution happen. Just let it happen. Take it one day at a time and just welcome the changes with open arms. Right up. I, I say, to, because I know you, P, and I know everything that's, that's happened in the past couple of years, I think you've, you've been very intentional about, like, like you said, learning something new every day and accepting parts of yourself that you may not have been willing to even recognize before. So not mm. only like you recognize them and you accept them and, and you are the, 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 not the old dog with new tricks, but you, you might be learning how to polish up them old tricks and add right. to them and make them better. You know what I'm saying? But you're not afraid to learn them new tricks as well. And I think that's where it comes in because you've come and you've worked, you've got, you've gotten to a place now where things are starting to look good. And you say, as you get older, you get set in your ways and you get stuck on certain things. But in the reality is, you're no longer concerned with trying to appeal to, impress, or fit in. You, you, you're, you're finding comfort in your lane. And yeah. you don't care what nobody else outside of your immediate circle says, cares, or thinks. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think that's where the, the, the struggle comes in now because things that used to bother you don't bother you no more. Thanks. You're not concerned about that no more. You're moving in a better direction, but those people are still attached to it. And and that is what's weighing on you because sometimes those people are like, well, why, Prentice? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? And, and they have a hard time accepting the new you, the better you. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't taken an opportunity to recognize what's going on in them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So and, and you're going to lose people. Like, like, that's what I've learned. Because as I've started evolving and changing, I've noticed the people that I used to run with that basically it's like this. When I when I start moving in a different direction, a lot of the people that weren't moving in the same direction as I was, that was basically moving in a direction that was detrimental to my development and my involvement, they fell off. Man, so that's, we got an episode about that. We, what, a couple weeks ago. Everybody can't go. Oh yeah, everybody can't go. Yeah, everybody can't go. That's the name of the episode, bro. They fell off, and that's why I said, as I get older, my path as a man is to surround myself with other like-minded individuals. I've only known Devin for about right at two years, but I consider like I feel like I've known Devin better than I know some of my own people I grew up with because we basically got a lot of the similar values. Mm -hmm. And as you go in a certain direction and as you evolve and grow, you're going to attract people like yourself. And when you got a pack of like minded people, life is so much better because who wants to get up here hearing complaining? You got plans to do big things and achieve big things in life. And, and you know how it's going to go, oh, man, that ain't going to work. They dream killers, man. Like, no, nah, no. Nah. Like, if you got negative energy, get away from me. I'm not even trying to deal with it. You got to. You got to be courageous enough to just leave them, bro, and just, just, just trust the journey. Facts. Can't go. Facts. So, uh, off of the children, now let's get on to how you get the children. Let's get to the juicy part. <laughs> we touched on it already. Relationships. Okay. How did, in the early goings, because right now, you know, we're all looking at it through the lens of some 40-something-year-old brothers, but in your 20s, when you, I don't know, you know, different ages, stages, or whatever, when you got really heavy in the game, because I'm going to put it to you like this. We all come from an era where you hang with your homeboys for so long, but when it's time to go kick it with your girl, you kick it with your girl. I don't know about y'all, 
I'm so tired of seeing six brothers in the car, like, like, like. <laughs> do y'all even know how to romance anymore? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh. you know, it's like it, it just it just behooves me, bro. So, in those early years, how did y'all transition from the upbringing that y'all had, and how did it transition into your relationships? Oh. Shit, how much time you got? You go, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you want to go? Even, this, could, this could be a long... I'm going to give a couple a couple quick nuggets real quick. And I think, you know, people always say don't take advice from a single man, but I've I've made all the mistakes a man should make, a man, a man makes, you know what I'm saying? And I've I've, in, I've been very intentional about developing developing myself as an ideal husband and, 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 and partner. So in listening to what Man D was saying, like communication, obviously you, you, you weren't taught that as a, as, a, as a child. You weren't taught effective communication. You weren't taught listening. Right. We always got to get our point on and be right. And we don't, we're not taught listening. But one thing I could say regarding, to, regarding that and, and for me, not having a dad around. My grandmother had nine children. None of them were married. They all had like long, lost relationships. God rest my soul, my uncle Eddie, my auntie Joanne, been together for shit as long as I've been alive. And I don't think they they were married, so they might have been, but I don't think they were. Nevertheless, so growing up, it was you do what you do, you get a lady, y'all stay together, you move in, you have kids, you keep the party going. So when my, when I found out I was having my baby, I was I remember I was looking for a car at the time. I mean, she she sent me a picture um, of the pregnancy test, and I'm at the dealership, and I showed the dude. And just remember leaving his office, running up and down the lot like Martin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I was wild happy. <laughs> like I was wild. I'm dead serious, P. I was so happy to be having a baby, right? At no point in my mind did I think about marrying her mother. Wow. Wasn't even a thought in my head. And, and looking back at it, like, yo, that was never modeled for me. We were having a baby. We get together. And that's just what we do. I honestly think that might have, like, saved relationship because that's kind of what she wanted. But we didn't talk about it because I was doing everything I had to do. I was taking care of home. I was raising my child, doing, treating her right. But I never even put those two those two together. And, and looking back at yeah, I was thirty one when I had my first my first child. I should have known that, right? But it's it was just for, it was something in me that was like yo, I did I I, ne- I was never shown that, never shown like you know when you meet a lady that you love and blah 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 you 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 propose you put a ring on it. Never, right. Never thought about it. not that I, I wasn't happy. I was happy. Everything was good. Didn't, didn't even cross my mind. And then, you know, when they got rocky and we separated or whatever, but, like, looking back at it, like, yo, had I done that, not that that would have saved the relationship, but, like, that was the, the man thing to do. And I didn't, I had never been, I had never been given that example. So to your, to your point, that specific component of the childhood, not having that example played a huge part in my coexistence with another person. Just that, that's why I, mean, I got, I could talk about it for days. There's so many different things that played into it, but P. Go ahead. I see you itching over there, cuz. No, nah, I'm tripping off what you're saying because <clears throat> we talk about things like this so much, and you're saying a bunch of shit I've never fucking heard you say, even on our podcast, on the phone, in person. <laughs> all of a sudden, we get on you talk, and you ain't like Hey, hey, say it again, he get on what? You talk exclusive, baby. You talk exclusive, baby. You gotta show me that machine. It's, I'm ordering one. Talk, we, need one <laughs> we need one of them ASAP. Oh, we need man. one of them ASAP. But uh, <laughs> but now nah, he's making a lot of points I've never even heard him say, which I think just 
shows the benefit of what happens when you communicate with other black men sometimes you got to get in a different space you know what i mean and sometimes just being in that different space and having some different energy in front of you or around you is going to create a different you know you're going to tap into a different lane in your head but for me man how did it affect me i would i I know absolutely i grew up and when i got to these adult years because i grew up without my pops and just my mom my whole value was dependent upon women so my value was based upon how women felt about me so if i wasn't winning in that field i gotta i gotta win so i gotta find somebody who's making me feel of value right so we trickle that into being a cheater my whole fucking life until you know my my relationship now because anytime something wasn't going right or if i didn't if i wasn't made to feel value or if i didn't feel value i gotta go somewhere else where i can get that value because my whole life women have been the people telling me i'm great i'm smart i'm brilliant all that so now that you know now that i love myself you know what i mean now that i now that i'm okay with me completely i have the right woman in my life you get what i'm saying so you kind of gotta you gotta do that work but for me it was definitely uh seeking approval from women it it messed up all of my relationships and um it became a band-aid for me to learn how to love prentice you know what i mean how to put value in prentice void of what anybody else says it was always said that you had to love yourself before you can fully love anybody else and i think what you just said pretty much embodies that that statement because yeah i think it's know, cliche for a lot of us a lot of us yeah, think it's just a cliche statement absolutely absolutely because loving yourself right because if you just you know if you don't have that self-love then your value is how many notches you gonna get you know mm-hmm. how many times you know how many you can knock down so uh, mm-hmm. you know when you start limping and that knee start hurting you can't get up as much Hey, listen, man, there's somebody out there doing backflips right now on the football field, you know, down the <laughs> sidewalk, you know, something a little bit more appealing right there. So, you know, after a while, them notches, they they going to decrease, man. You're going to be, you know, with that earpiece and that Bluetooth at the club, <laughs> still trying to pull something. <laughs> but it ain't going to work, man. You got to have no, a little Hey, listen, man. Hey, Chuck, what you talking about, Chuck? Hold on, I'll tell you back, Chuck. Would you would you say what you say, man? They got they got them. Uh, I call them them barbecue shoes, them them sandals, them barbecue, with the straps with the buckle on the side and and and, and them khaki shorts and a hey, shirt. That- <laughs> my my homeboy's dad wore wore those one time, and we called them the the Air Leonidas from from three hundred because that's just what they look like. They look, they look like them chicks from three hundred, all them straps like. Don't do it, brothers. Listen to us right now. You want to be a man who has more than a Bluetooth and some 300 sandals at the barbecue. In order to do that, you got to love yourself, bro. You got to. And not saying the brothers don't, but we just want to make sure. Side of the times. Side of the times. And real quick, I want to shout out on the last show, well, the second to last show. Um, I, I Does he have the contact information, uh, Dr. Lede? Because he's from around my way. Oh, right. We'll we'll definitely connect you. Let's make okay, sure. Okay, yeah. I'd like to, to get because I was watching it and he was dropping gems. And I'm gonna get into some of the stuff he was talking about a little bit later. But uh just to kind of wrap up the general conversation before we, we take a turn on some things. Uh now we've gone from the relationship aspect, we've gone from the fatherhood aspect. So now let's go on to the professional and the job aspect. 
Um, I think this is probably one of the most just intense challenges with your mental health because we've all been in that situation where you know you're doing your part, but somebody else, they get the benefit. And, you know, it's just like it bothers you because I know me personally, I've been in situations where I have perfect attendance at work. I do my job to the best of my ability, above and beyond duty. Whatever you ask, I do. First one there, last one to leave, just trying to be an example and still get a foot in my backside. As a black man, how how has the job work-life balance, as you want to say, as you may call it, how has it affected y'all? Have y'all had any issues, you know, having to really deal with in the job sector? Chief, would you like <laughs> so, to talk about right now in your life? Would you like to- <laughs> well, I'm, currently I'm currently in a real delicate space right now in terms of what I want to do career-wise. I got a bunch of different options, and um, I will just to, to, to get the topic of your question, to answer your question, I think, um, one, I, I would advise men to not bring work home with you. It depends mm-hmm. on you know what the work is in a negative way. Like for me, I work in a high school and I'm I'm the disciplinarian. You know what I'm saying? I'm the dean of students at a high school. So whenever I, 95% of my day is wrapped around quote unquote negativity. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I see kids when things go wrong and I got to adjust that. And it's a lot. Sometimes it's a lot to carry. So I leave it. I drop it off on the way out of work, pick it up on the way back in. I don't bring it home with me. But some of those lessons I take and I bring home and it allows me to be a better parent. You know what I'm saying? Because I deal with parents all the time and how they interact with their kids. So that aspect of work is kind of cool. Um in that regard but what another gem i wanted to drop if i could is i think we as men get so caught up in and i i, I play flag football with my guys and i asked the question to my group chat one day i was like outside of your job your family and your god-given athletic or sports what is it you're passionate about and guys didn't really have an answer for that because outside of football you know as athletes are you know jocks all we all we know is, is the game we get families we get jobs and we we set Right. But, you know, eventually we can't we can't play no more. I'm like, what is it you're passionate about? What's what else can you dive and put your energy into outside of those things? Because oftentimes some of those things can be therapeutic. But when it's all said and done, you got your family when they get on your nerves, you got your job and that's working your nerves, and you can't play you can't play sports no more. What else can you dig into? What else can you dive into? And I think it's important for us to find something else outside of those main uh main va- valuable assets of life to to keep us in a therapeutic space or to get us in a therapeutic space. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but I think primarily is one take, don't bring negative aspects of work home with you. Take whatever you can and bring home to make you a better person and and include your family in that and find something outside of your job and your family and your God given athletic ability that you're passionate about. You know, it'll it'll help move you in a better direction. So I could give you more, but P go ahead. Uh, I would say to to um, a specific group, because this is how I can relate to the question. So it's not necessarily generic. Uh, Growing up and working for me has led me to where I am now being totally independent and entrepreneur and making my own money and nobody else determining my day. Um, And it's been that way because I've always had a gift. Right. And I've always tried to balance having a job to pay for life or kids or whatever and this gift i'm calling in sick but then the next day they see me on tv and they like wait how 
How are you in sick? But I just saw you on City Hall last night. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I used to do that shit all the time. You know what I mean? I used to hide my duffel bag. And so what ended up happening, me being in the workplace led me to my calling. But when I look back on it, I think of how long I fought it. Because something, I, I just kept telling myself, no, you need this job. You need this nine to five to keep the bills paid. But it's, it's stifling your, your calling or your passion, something that you just can't put away. So I would say to people, to the to the brothers who know what I'm talking about, when you feel like you're being pulled elsewhere, don't fight that. You know what I mean? You may not know how to get it done. You may not know when to leave. But when I say don't fight that, I mean embrace it somehow. You know what I'm saying? If you feel yourself being pulled in a certain direction because of being a black man in work, maybe you just don't relate. Maybe they don't understand your skill set. Maybe the way you approach it. You know, I talk to the top 2% most troubled teens in the county in the Bay Area, all in foster and juvenile care for, for seven and a half years. So my approach to these cats is a little different because I come from around that. You know what I mean? But some, some of my co-workers couldn't handle the way I spoke to them. But guess what? I got results. See? When that kid was about to get fifty-one fifty and had a knife to his neck, who did y'all call to come down there and talk him down over the police? It was me. You know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. it was me. But I also felt myself working in that field, being the token um, educated black man, the one who was skilled, put with only the black kids or put in certain environments to be effective in these environments and make these companies look good. And I no longer wanted that. So uh, just to sum it up, I say know your worth know your value in the workplace as a black man you are the most valuable asset outside of a fucking black woman so let's let's just make that clear so know your value and know your worth and when you feel like your value and your worth is being compromised or your integrity is being compromised in the workplace nine times out of ten it probably is so follow that figure out what's next for you don't just sit on that feeling follow that that's what i say Shout out to shout out to the to the to the to the working black woman too. I saw, I saw a quote one day and it said something like, "You walked into a bar and wanted to wanted to speak to the to the manager." She's like, "Do you want to speak to the manager or do you want to speak to the woman who runs the show?" Mm. <laughs> Check that talk. out. <laughs> so real talk. That's powerful. I tell you what, man. I'm gonna give y'all both some major major flowers on that one because going back to what Chief said, Chief hit the nail on the head as as far as it went with me because. When, uh, in my case, uh, my son, he played ball. So after he finished, when he graduated high school, I tell this to Devin all the time, Friday nights, I was I was lost. Like, it was no fun no more, you know? And it's like, my youngest daughter, she cheerleaded, but she just graduated. So, you know, I didn't have no more purpose, you know? Like, like all those years of bringing them to practices and bringing them to this event and that event and watching them grow and go through the cycle, it was done when he said, because I tried to get him to play college ball. And that's one of the things that I learned that you, you don't push your kids to do stuff. Let them do it at their pace. But when they've had enough, you got to respect their decision. And I learned to do that. So and he could have played. I mean, he, he could have. He just told me during the senior year, I said, Dad, I'm going to just play my senior year and I'm done. And inside I was hurt. But it's like, you know what? This is part of him becoming a man. So I got to let him make this decision. If this is what he's going to stand by, stand by. So once all those days were done, and uh, like I said, I linked up with Devin. And like I said, really, before I was on here, I was in the chat. I'm just watching, you know, and it's like, man, like, because he would always come on on a Friday night. And it's like, man, ain't no more football games, but, man, this this show is fire. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm digging this show. You know, like, I'm starting to have 
another purpose again. And like you said about therapeutic, you know, find something else to kind of replace that niche that you may no longer have. Definitely therapeutic. So, you know, I got to give it to you on that. And and just like with Prentice said as well, you know, you know, being able to represent as the black man, but the black man in the workplace that can get stuff done and do it in a certain way. I think that that speaks major volumes, major volumes. So shouts out to both of y'all on that. So, so I want to um, you mentioned something that I, I'm currently I'm currently dealing with. And I don't want to put it in the air right now. But when we when we end this joint, I got something I want to talk to you about. I, I, I really I would really appreciate your opinion or your perspective on it, having to do with football and all that good stuff. Cool. So, cool. 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 All right. So now I think this is probably the most challenging part of everything in, in this everyday life. I don't remember if it was Bell or Prentice, but it was a show recently. I remember one of y'all saying that one of the biggest challenges that we have is when we step out that door every day. Who, who said that? Was that? Prentice. That was was it Prentice? Prentice? I remember that showed up. You remember that show? No, uh, yeah, I don't. That was I, I, yeah, I don't. It, it, I don't. <laughs> the, the, co- the conversation was so deep, and, and it's like y'all got into it so deep, and it was talking about just what we have to deal with. You know, with, with everything, with, with just everyday life, the police just being judged, being looked at, and how the, the, the real challenges start when you walk out the door. When I heard that, when I heard that, that hit different. That really hit different because it's like I knew it, but I didn't realize it. And it's like yeah. every day when I go to work, it's like after I heard you say it, I'm like, man, literally, I'll, I'll leave out my house and I'm just like just looking outside like. All right, here's another one. Let's get it, you know. And it's like you got to prepare yourself for that. So I don't think a lot of people understand. I know myself personally. I don't know about y'all. But at 45 years of age, I shouldn't be getting on edge when I see police lights. Man. Especially when I know I'm not doing nothing wrong, not a criminal, not a felon, never did nothing in my past, nothing. But I've had routine traffic stops, and I am scared to death. And what I don't think a lot of people don't understand, because when I look at a lot of discussions, because, you know, everybody's always saying that, you know, there needs to be a discussion had. You know, the race relations and why the country is divided, a discussion needs to be had. But what a lot of people don't want to hear, what they always tell us, you're just overreacting if you, 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 you uh, what, what do they always say? Comply. I hate when I hear people say comply. Because I don't know if whoever's stopping me is going to give me an opportunity to comply. Because how many times have we seen it with the Philando Castillo video? You just seen what happened with Amir, uh, God forgive me, I can't remember, in, in Minnesota, the one that they just, um, for the verdict, they, uh, well, no. No, they let him off. They let him off. The one that they barged in his apartment, he woke up, he was in a daze, and they shot him and killed him. Okay, Breonna Taylor, you know, the the guy in Dallas that was eating ice cream when the girl barged in the wrong apartment. And she said that, you know, she didn't realize or she made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. So my thing is with that, for me, coming up, and if you have a son, I think that's what really scares the hell out of me. Because I can remember growing up, my dad would tell me when I would go out, this is in the 90s. All right, son, be careful, have fun. Now, this is what you got to do. Like, I got to get a blueprint of what to do or not do if I'm stopped. But it didn't seem as prevalent back then. It was around. You had the bad stuff happening. 
But I, I think the absence of social media back in the day didn't really put it out on Front Street. It scares the hell out of me right now because every time my son goes to work, every time he goes out with his friends or goes out with his girlfriend, I'm scared. But kind of to circle back to where all this was originating, kind of give us your perspective on how mental our mental health is affected just living everyday life, having to step out and, you know, just having... You like we really don't know when we step out if we coming home. You know if some bogus stuff pops off. Well, think about this. I'll keep this brief and pass it to you, Chief. Think about the the you, you mentioned something earlier about buck breaking. I've always said that one thing that is genius about America is its ability to dismantle black people historically. Right now, all it is is digital. There's a reason why you're scared. Every time you turn on your TV and every time you pick up your phone, you're seeing some black man dying at the hands of police. You can't escape it. If you don't want to watch it on your phone or social media, then just turn on the news and you won't watch it. No, you will watch it because they're going to be talking about it there. So now death is being sensation. Black death is being sensationalized everywhere. Right. So now we're extra terrified because we see it every single day. And I feel like what happens now is we got to find a way to kind of um, we got to find a way to counter that. But we also got to give ourselves our flowers for being black men because of the very fact of how much we mentally process subconsciously before we walk out the door. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how to explain it, bro. like I, I walk out the door and automatically there's a code that gets imprinted in my head that make sure I look this way or make sure that if I'm making eye contact with this person I'm watching or to watch how I talk around here, not necessarily my, my, my jargon because I'm not switching up to nobody, but just to be aware. Right. You know what I mean? Like I had a baby almost a year ago. My daughter is going to be his goddaughter is going to be a year uh, next uh, on the 20th. And the experience was absolutely terrible. And I watched how they did black women in the hospital. Doing I childhood. saw that. I saw that. I saw you were really emotional that episode. I saw that. Bruh, I, it was the worst shit I experienced in my life, but I also couldn't flip my shit in the hospital right? the way I wanted and the way I deserved because I'm a black man. And what mm -hmm. I couldn't allow happen is my blackness to have me removed from this hospital while this black woman has to have this baby at the hands of these white doctors who don't care about it, you know what I mean, alone. So we are always constantly having to process natural emotions that everybody's given and then that subsector of considering the fact that we're black and then i'm a black man so even though i have these emotions i can't do like them right because it's not going to give me the results i want so i think we have to give ourselves acknowledgement and flowers for for daily being able to do that and you tell me the different people who got to do that shit every day and if there ain't no other people, which there isn't, who has to do it like we do every day, why should we not look at ourselves as fucking amazing? Like we're superhuman as black men because of the simple fact that we have to wire ourselves before we go outside and successfully make it home on a daily basis. So for me, I got to I got to rewire how I look at my circumstances as a black man. I'm not going to be a fucking victim. I'm not. I'm not going to be a victim. So I'm telling myself I'm a superhero. I'm telling y'all that y'all superheroes and I'm telling my boys that they superheroes too because don't nobody deal with what we got to deal with when we go outside and we do it successfully every day, God willing. Oh. See, that's well shit, said. That shit wow. very, very well said. It had me, had me all in my feelings over here on some real shit because I'm like, I'm wow. listening to it and 
just recently there was an accusation of of the school uh paraprofessional grabbing my son by his arm and his mom called me and told me about it and of course instantly you want to go angry black man off the rip but i'm like i can't go in there i work in a school district i can't go in there on some spaz and shit because that's what they expect me to do and right I think See? but you're warranted to do that too and right. that's the fucked up right. part especially when you within your right family. Especially come to, when it comes to my babies, you know what I'm saying? Come on, man. So that, that was a real struggle for me, man. And, and I really wanted to, to spaz. I'm like, yo, I can't, one, because of the job we just talked about. Right. You know what I'm saying? Which, which, which is some bullshit. But two, like, that's, we fight so hard to not be what they expect us to be. That when we actually, when we actually become who they expect wow. us to be, they don't realize that they're the one who provoked that shit. And we are in the, we're in the position to be that. Allow yeah. me that. Give me that. You put me here. They don't see it they'll never see it that way ever right. so right. I, back to the, the police thing so i got a couple things I, I make i'm taking notes as we're talking but a couple things so one of my best one of my best friends literally my child we've been friends since we were five great relationship his younger brother is a police officer i dare him to help raise this kid we're driving i see him behind me he's a police officer in his car I see him behind me he turns on the lights just to fuck with me and pulls me over heart is beating i know this kid i raised this kid i view him like my little brother and right. still got nervous. Yeah. Wait, you knew it was him before he put the lights I on? Him. He was just fucking with me. But I, you know, I got And it still him. shook you. And it still shook me up. Like, is he black? Yes. Yes. Wow. He, That's it different. Still, it still traumatized me like it like I didn't know this kid. And he was just fucking with me. And he and you know what I'm saying? He put him on. I started to pull over and then he put up thing. Like, I'm just fucking with you, Pete. And I kept going. You know what I'm saying? But like <laughs> Pete, that, that moment, but I'm, <laughs> I would I would Slap his ass if I had that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying to your point, fellas, that social media shit has created a new sort of a new sense of trauma for us because if we if it ain't happening to us, we seeing it, and then when it That's does right. happen, we're so deathly afraid that we can be the next one. And I knew it. Like I said, mm -hmm. I, it's like P, like you pulling me over, like we yeah. keep that close, fam. And I really was still like, oh shit, like my heart started racing. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And then it was it was real quick, but it was like, yo. And that's that's embedded trauma via social media, via the systemic racism that's happened for the longest time. You know what I'm saying? And that, and it's fucked up that we have to live we have to live that way. Uh, two more points. I had a uh, I was talking to one of my white friends after the George Floyd thing happened. He called me up. He's like, "P, I just don't, I, I just don't get it." He's like, he's like, uh, he didn't understand why the black people were were, were rioting and looting. And I and I kind of broke it down. I had to like break it down to him. And, and then one of the things I said was like, I was like, Ty, when you get pulled over, at any point in that interaction, do you fear for your life? Like, no, absolutely not. Like, okay, we do. And it is. When I, when I said story, that, man. he was like, but the way he said it was like, oh no, not like no, not at all. And I'm like, we do. When we see lights coming at us on the opposite side of the road, we start. Heart panicking. drops. Right, heart drops, and and that yep. is what kind of made sense to him. And to and to everybody's point, if I ever, if the police ever get me, just know I did nothing to warrant that. Burn the bitch down. Everything. Go Everything crazy. Go crazy. And you know what? That, that that's. I think that's another good point when it talks about the mental health of black men. I think we got to tap back into that. I'm not going to lie. I, I, a part of and this is the part I don't hear brothers talking about most because I think there's so much sensitivity. We're worried about what platforms we own, who going to rock with us, but there is a certain power in letting people know that you are not to be fucked with as a black man you know what i mean there's a certain power with sometimes standing your feet in the sand and being like look 
I'm not going to provoke it, but listen, I'm not Martin Luther King Jr. If they do something to me, I want y'all to fuck everything up. Matter of fact, let me give you the couple of blocks that I'd like to see fucked up personally, and y'all fuck them up first. I, I think sometimes we got to get back to understanding that our power instills fear in this country. For sure. You know, our power really does, and the way we get stronger as black men is by getting mentally healthy. And and I think the more we realize that this is not corny conversation, that this ain't lame ass conversation, that this ain't uh, uh soft or, or or weak nigga type. No, this is this is this is manhood. And the reason why it may be uncomfortable hearing this type of dialogue and having people approach you with conversations like this is because it's growth. And a lot of times we got to experience pain and uncomfortable things to grow. And I think conversations sure. like this about police and the power of us being black and letting people know that we are unapologetically black men and love ourselves and love black women instills fear in this country. And I think that sometimes you got to speak the same language you're spoken to. The hard part is the fact that we black men and we got to, you know what I'm saying? We got to fix the language again and create another level of slang here's where I throw, to get here's it done. Where I, here's where I throw the huge monkey wrench in the game right now. People don't, many people don't know my, my boys are from a white woman. So one of my sons, my oldest son, Major, looks like a little white boy. Like his 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 complexion is completely his, my, my my baby son is darker, but my my my, my oldest is light. Like it looks like a little white boy. Light. I wrote a poem about you know back in the day, mommy says you can't use your comb, don't bring her home. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when I, I that that phrase that phrase kept replaying in my head, and I'm and I'm trying to think of ways or lessons I can give my son. Mm-hmm. Like how do I how do I how does he respond if the first time somebody calls him the N word? Mm-hmm. Is, is it okay for him to use it? Because because he, he's so white. When he gets pulled over by the cops, do I do I teach him to take advantage of his privilege so he can get his ass home? Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like those are things that I, that, that played in that played in my head when I, when he came out. I'm like looking at him and like yo, this is my like you, he looks just like me in the face. Right. But that's what's crazy. You know what <laughs> that's right. His hue is different, and it's just like. These are legit questions that I've, I've I've had to ponder and process because I'm like, you goddamn right, I teach him to take advantage of his privilege, going to get him home safely. Yeah. You know, you know the other twist. The other twist is like, you know, my oldest, um, his mother is Puerto Rican, and even though she has, you know, children by black men, she's not very aware of black culture as far as what this means to be a black man. And then you got to deal with that's the crazy one that chief you got to deal with. What I got to deal with is um now that he's with me full time and was in florida the first 10 and a half you know almost 11 years of his life um and coming back visiting me even though he was born in california i gotta deconstruct yep. whatever is being fed to him other places yeah. and he didn't grow up around a lot of black kids that's another thing in Tampa, in florida you know what i mean so now i got him he's 13 now but i get him and i gotta help him understand why you can't do this why you can't move like that right what's not okay for these fucking white kids to say in your presence because you don't know why because the other black kids allowed this type of shit and some of the black kids that were around promoted it to be accepted amongst other people because they were black so when you have babies with women who are not black it does create a whole different dynamic of things you have to deal with um and consider man it it, it does that but that that one about using his privilege for his skin, man, that's tough right there. Yeah, that's so, real. I, I, happened that's to stumble, I happened to stumble across like a, a screenshot I took a while ago of a conversation I had with his mother. She was talking about 
uh german cars or whatever and how she liked the car and she's like i feel like a i feel like it's a nazi vehicle it's my favorite since i saw it, it was a teenager and I, and I was just messing with because you're a hitler fan and a fucking psycho just messing right. with her, just with her, right and she says yep because men she goes i like men who want me dead because of my hair skin and eye color and then i put try being black and having the whole country feel like that about you Mm. Right. And right. It was just, it was just joking conversation. She was trying to be funny, but I'm like, yeah, you make jokes about that, but that shit is real for us. Yeah. And and I didn't think that was funny. That's the crazy thing too. Depending on who's listening to it, right, you know right, what no. I mean? Like you know her like that, right? Yeah. But the joke, like, yo, I like men who want me dead because I'm like, no, that's she not. Was saying, she was saying like she was like saying so. You're assuming I like men who want me dead because of my hair color or skin. She was not. She was not saying like she likes them. Just like, oh, oh okay. You know what I'm saying like. I was like, nigga, that wasn't cool, man. Don't. Like, <laughs> I compared it to Hitler, so she she's like, in comparison to him, like she was basically. Yeah, I misunderstood. Well, I was gonna have to check you when you got off the no, no, podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> you gonna say that shit? Hey, but I was gonna get you on the podcast. You lucky, but, but even then, like, even then, like having a having a having children by her, she's still like obviously she embraces the culture. She has children by black men, but she's still unaware mm-hmm. of the shit that her boys will go through. Mm-hmm. She does certain things. I'm like, yo, that's like, then it's little things like when my like the boys. I, you know how kids will try their parents, and they're different. You know, they're different people around. And we live in two different households, and so my boys are different people when they're at their mom's house. Right. I go there, I go there one day, and she like, let's leave the door unlocked, and I go in. I'm watching them wild out in front of her. And I'm like, yo, you got to check that. Like, you have to check that now because you're setting them up for that type of behavior in the future, and that's the shit that can get my boys killed. Right, you know what I'm saying, and we have to have those type of conversations. Like, listen, ultimately, yeah, it's all it's all kikis and giggles. Now, when they get old, that shit's not gonna be funny. So these lessons I need you to impart in them right now, so that they don't they don't Damn. carry that behavior. I didn't even adults. trip off that. Like, uh, I'm uh, like white boys are raised by white mamas, and they have a certain freedom. So, why would it be any different for a kid who may be mixed if he got a white mama? I ain't I ain't tripped off that, but he black. Right. You know what I mean? So that influence of, of, of the white mom, and if she's not really on it, which she's never going to be because she's just not black. Do you know the conversation I had to have with my son trying to get him to understand that he was black? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I got a, I got a good one, you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, flash this message right here. Tell me what y'all think my homeboy Jamal said about this. Definitely want your opinions on this. I, I, I would ask Jamal, what about it? Call in Jamal. Yeah, I, I, I want. I, I think we need a little bit more. I, I would like more context. Like, what about black on black violence? Yeah, because they don't. They don't call it white on white violence. That shit happened too. Right. Yeah. They, I, they, I, they don't. I, I think. I think the connotation of black on black violence was made from the media, just to demonize right. us. Right. Mm-hmm. When so. you have the same stuff going on that you just don't hear about it in mm-hmm. the suburbs. Right. Yeah. But. While we waiting on Jamal, if he calls, kind of get to the to the towards the end of stuff. I made a list of certain celebrities. Now, I saw what y'all was saying about the Will Smith situation. Totally, totally agree. I'm, I'm about to go there with you, Prentice, because you hit the nail on the head with that one. But I started looking up some other guys that that had some stuff, and I just want to people that maybe most people have forgotten about in mental health issues. Don Cornelius Not suffered from depression. About to bring our bail in. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Brother Bell. My hey, fellas, my bad, man. I'm in the back of the Uber. I had a uh, client dinner. Hang up on this thing, man. 
Yo, we can't even hear you. Y'all can't hear me? No, hey, no, you got a mask on. I'm in the Uber. I gotta have a mask on. Put the Uber driver on the, on the call. We won't talk to you. We'll <laughs> on two, two minutes later. I know, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good, I, man. I, it's I want, a. I want to talk about that black on black crime, though. I, I, yo, I swear to God, when the question popped up, I'm like, Bell should be here for that one. Because he, he had... Oh, yeah. I'm, was, I'm here. Was, he mentioned his college class. Go ahead, Bell. Tell him. Take it, take it, Bell. Go ahead on. Listen, so black-on-black crime is not a real thing. Like, first and foremost, right? If you look at statistically, and I haven't looked at it in a while, but the last time I checked, think about it, right? We're not the majority of the population. So the majority hmm. of violence can't be committed by us on us. Statistically, like it's just not possible. That's one. Two, black on black crime was a rhetoric that was created to, to to villainize us. Think about it, man. Black on black crime came during the crack era, right? Like where where the victims. So now, fast forward, right? It's an opioid opioid epidemic. Right. Who are, who's who's the ones getting prosecuted? Not the users, right? They're getting clinics and outreach patients help and all that stuff. But during the crack the crack epidemic, the users was getting locked up. The people selling the, the, the crack was getting locked up. So they had to villainize us. Like that's not black on black crime is not a real thing. Look mm-hmm. up any statistic. There's no statistic you can show me that shows that black crime outpaces any other race period right so and again the statistics i remember is from a couple years ago i don't think they've changed that much but it's a narrative that's being painted like that's that's not a real thing now if you want to talk about how we can embrace each other that's different right that's different right how can we collaborate more that's different yeah we should do that more but White on white crime is a thing, right? Crime on crime is a thing. It's not like, why do we have to have our own statistics, like our own statistical category? You know what I'm saying? Like, Asians don't commit crimes against other Asians, right? Like, I don't, I don't buy that. So, right, it's, 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 it's rhetoric, right? It's rhetoric that they spew to, to, to paint a narrative, to paint a picture. That's how they drive property value down. Like, think about it. Like, it's, it's. And again, I'm not trying to get too political, but I'm just telling you that that it's all it's all rhetoric. It's not it's not necessarily an alarming statistic more than white on white crime. Because statistically, there's more white on white crime than black on black crime, and that's a fact. Right, that's definitely a fact. Very right, I got the call on. I got the call on the line. Jamal, go ahead. You on with Utah? You got all everybody attention. Let's do it. Listen. You know Jamal. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Is you talk? What's up, Jamal Davis, Avon Paul, Florida? I get all what you're saying, like the black on black, the white on white. Everybody can do crime, but it, it, statistically, you're gonna kill more around people you know, point blank. But it's an alarming rate that we're killing each other, and we have nothing. I mean, you can't overlook the fact that. They're killing each other for nothing. I don't care how you put it. You can't overlook that fact. They're doing it. It's happening. 
Hello? No, no, yeah, yeah, we, yes, sir. We, we, yeah, yeah we, we agree. Yeah, Brothers yeah. are definitely killing each other in for that nothing. Sense, you are absolutely right. It is most certainly happening, and it is at Hello. a very alarming rate. But with those, with, within those small communities, it seems much bigger than it really, really is because it's happening at a much more alarming rate in other Hello. communities. I think he might have trouble hearing hearing you. Jamal, you can hear me? Yeah, I think I think Yeah, yeah, I think it's call drop. But go ahead on finish answering it, Chief. No, I was just saying, like he, he has some very valid points. It does happen, but I think given the size of our communities, the numbers the percentages are higher because the communities are so small. But it's happening in, in other communities at a much more alarming rate and those numbers are way higher than what our, what ours are. And we're not calling that white on white crime. We're not calling that Asian on Asian crime or whatever the case may be. So and right. You know what else I just thought of? I think it's really important to be mindful when we say we're killing each other for no reason. There's always a reason. It's just that the reason is bigger, I think, than a lot of these incidents and a lot of the black on black crime, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, at, 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 at when you break it down, we are killing each other for absolutely no valid reason. Let's talk about why these brothers are behaving that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Are we killing each other for no reason? Um, it, it's hard for me to kind of entertain the black on black violence and the killing each other for no reason talk because I feel like that's a given. You right. know what I mean? Like that's the surface conversation that we kind of always have or that comes up to kind of counter when we start talking about some other stuff. You know what I mean? When we start talking about, you know, death, violence at the hands of other people. Often that that black on black violence and rhetoric is brought up, but what we're not discussing at nauseum like we are the no reason conversation is why 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 are we so unhealthy that i'm gonna shoot you over five bucks what's right. going on in my head what type of lifestyle am i living what type of environment am i am i growing up in and the and the answer is environments that are very deliberate and 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 designed to break you down mentally so you do that so we got to figure right. out how we can just uh deconstruct our mentality you know what I mean? We got to start touching on these these commonalities that we who have our shit together have in common with those who don't and figure out what we do to work it out and get on the same page. So, you know, I just have a hard time talking about that black on black brown and shit because it don't it don't mean nothing. People die every day, be respectfully, but right. in, in every culture, too. You know what I mean? So the no reason is bigger than no reason. Absolutely. There's a reason. Last thing, last thing, and I'm going to go ahead on and uh, we'll get on up out of here for the night, man, because it's been one heck of a conversation. I've, I've enjoyed every second. This is why I listen to y'all right here. Yeah. So I was able to be first, first man, man, loving it. Uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, you guys gave a very, very great alternative outlook on that Will Smith situation. Like you gauge thoughts in me that I didn't think of. And I just wanted to go ahead and use some examples that I had looked up of some other guys, other other black men. As I said earlier, Don Cornelius, he suffered from depression, took himself out. Lee Thompson Young, remember he was the backup running back and remember the tight, was no, uh, Friday Night Lights, I'm sorry. He backed up Booby Miles, the young actor, took himself out. Um, I just saw Kid Cudi, he had suicidal thoughts and depression. Everybody looks at DMX for his drug usage. But DMX was diagnosed bipolar disorder. So he had some stuff going on. He had some suicidal stuff going on, as you saw. Former receiver of mine, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, Antonio Brown. I don't like to claim him, but 
it is what it is. He's had his issues, as we can see. Uh, Brandon Marshall, he had issues. And Kanye West, obviously, you know, after the passing of his mother, I think that's when a lot of stuff happened with him. You know, he kind of went off in the deep end. But I use all those examples. Some have taken themselves out to get to the Will Smith situation. And I didn't want to end this program. I didn't want to end this episode without addressing it because I think you guys made a very, very valid point on the meme situation. Everybody, when it happened, like, it just took the world by storm. That's all you heard about. Like, the world stopped. Like, we got this stuff going on over here with Ukraine. We got all of these issues over here that could potentially affect us, affect the economy, affect everything with our livelihood. But everybody's talking about Will Smith smacking the piss out of Chris Rock. And then they clowning him about it. And then they bringing up the entanglement stuff with Jada. I got to give props where props is due. Because when y'all said that if something would have happened to Will, and who knows? None of us are, are fortune tellers. Would it still be funny? Because no. Will Smith in that biography said that he felt powerless because he watched his dad abuse his mom and he didn't defend her. It's obvious Will Smith is dealing with some stuff. I don't think that slap came from Jada. I don't think that thing had anything to do with Jada. I think it's more deep-rooted stuff. And I think Will, just like y'all said, and I feel the same way, I think Will just got to the end of the line. He just snapped for whatever reason. But I just wanted to let y'all expound on that real quick before we before we wrap it up because I thought it was golden. I'll let you wrap, T. I'll start. I'll let you wrap on this. Part of the conversation that we had was... um... Go ahead, T. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Brian. You said you let me wrap up, but you meant I'm about to get into it now. But go ahead. Go ahead. You got it. I think think it does have to do with Jada. I think it has a lot to do with Jada. Really? It ultimately has to do with Will. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I feel like I was Will Smith in my previous marriage. I understand Will on a deeper level. I understand what it's like to have a gift. I understand what it's like to be able to present a very polished family, a very polished look. I understand what it's like to present joy. But I also understand what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody who does not value you and is uh, uh, able to watch you broken, to watch you travel around broken. I think what happened is that he didn't place himself in a healthy relationship with a woman that didn't allow himself to deal with whatever issues those are that he has that he's dealing with. And it culminated in him um, choosing to defend his honor on national TV and jeopardize everything he's worked for. There's something going on in that man's home life, in his personal life, where he's not being fed. He's not being nurtured. He's not being supported the way he needs to to deal with those issues. Now, granted, totally on him, his choices. But we also do got to talk about the fact that there are a lot of black men in unhealthy, unhappy and unsafe relationships that don't allow us to grow. So we find other ways to supplement for what we're lacking. And I think Will Smith is a perfect example. Talented since jump, knows how to present himself, has done all these things. But once he started breaking down, like you said, like we said, we started laughing at the brother and we teased him. And we bully him to the point where he does something. And now we like, why the fuck did he do that? Because we've been calling him a punk the last two and a half years for how his wife treats him. So he chooses to try to defend her honor on national TV. And lo and behold, he's still left on the island because I ain't heard his wife say shit about anything. 
Right. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's important to recognize beyond the fact that, you know, the jokes beyond the memes as black men, we have to be able to walk away on our own from things that are unhealthy for us. And that is hard for us to do with when you got abandonment issues, when you may have mama issues, you get attached to these women. And sometimes you can convince yourself that that woman you've invested all this time in is the best you're going to ever get. And sometimes a woman is telling you the same thing. Now, I don't know her conversation she has with them, but all I can say is that it's very important as black men that we recognize unhealthy relationships and don't jeopardize our lives, our livelihood at, you know, at the expense of, you know, it, it should be at the expense of our livelihood being in these relationships. And we got to we got to learn how to walk away and restart if we need to. Absolutely. I think we've I think black men or just men in general have grown accustomed to falling under the premise of being the protector and provider of the relationship that that's all we kind of take in we kind of take in place and when a woman's mm -hmm. not woman's not pleased or not happy in a relationship she's able to express that or allowed to express that and we have to adjust as if we don't have the liberty to adjust that for ourselves i don't think mm -hmm. will ever took an opportunity to say you know what jada i'm unhappy or i don't like when you do this or this bothers me he took in everything she said and all of her complaints and tried to mend his you know mend himself and work around that for him right but didn't take an opportunity to express itself. And the prime example I can give for that was, and, and there's been a bunch of memes and stories out, but when you see on the little red table talk, he talks about how he planned a party for her. After her 37th birthday, he planned her 40th birthday party. Had a, a, a documentary crew going around filming everything, got Mary J. Blige to sing there, blah, 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 blah. So he put this elaborate thing on for three years for her 40th birthday party. And at the party, she looks this man in his face and says, this is the most selfish display of your ego. And he's like, you know what? She was right. Do you know how that would have crushed me, bro? Well, what if it was thing. true? No, but, but either way, he still has the liberty to feel like, yo, I did all this. You could at least say thank you. Be, show some type of appreciation. But instead, it's like, yo, this is all about you. And I think what publicly said is another thing. True, though. I'm, <laughs> again, I, I think, I think it, even if it's true, I think publicly. Putting that out publicly, I think there's a there's a there's That's a line true. as That's far true. as in relationships. You know what I mean? Like right. uh Sarai may do something that I don't like, but I know there's a limit that I'm gonna go to publicly divulging what happens in my household or how I feel about certain things. You know, sometimes I think it's better to smile some shit off and have the conversation off camera. You know what I mean? Rather than just divulge all of that, because I'm sure that, you know, even if it was true, I could see how that could be hurtful as fuck to have somebody say you know on the internet in right. front of everybody but one thing i've mentioned a bunch of times too even on our podcast fellas i talked about how you know uh you can't have i don't know if this is true but like will smith ain't jumping on the all black men need therapy podcast because we he's not having that million dollar conversation with cat swain on this level you know what i'm saying so i i sincerely question whether or not he had he's surrounded by yes men because he's will smith because he's an a-list celebrity and everybody knows who he is. does he have does he have a, you know a bet on the apprentice in this corner going yo you need some help bro yeah but one, one, one thing i agree one million percent but one thing that can't go without being recognized <clears throat> it is an illness right sure. like me mental health can be an illness Good depending what, what you suffer from you know what i'm saying so to your point chief you could have all the yes men in, or excuse me all the the righteous people in your corner telling you what to do but at the end of the day bro it's an illness, you know? So 
depending on what that man's going through, like I don't know what that man's going through. I don't know what Kanye is going through, right? But another illness, right, is like alcoholism, right? Or people addicted to gambling. Like I have, I have a a very close friend of mine, very close friend, self-made millionaire, right? And because of his addiction, he lost it all. Now he had, I can tell you firsthand, he had people like myself, people that he held in extreme high regard, trying to walk him off the ledge, help him understand like you're gonna ruin your life, this, that, and the third. But it's an illness, bro, right? So that's something, it's something to be said. Now again, I don't feel that good conversation guidance from people you trust and respect. I feel like that's always warranted. But I guess what I'm saying is, is sometimes it could fall on deaf ears because that illness, whatever that illness is, has a stronghold. You know what I'm saying? So I, I agree with you. But I'm just saying we also probably should be given this illness um, the credit it deserves, un, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So and be aware, and I think be aware of trauma bonding. It's, it's very possible. We do it as black men all the time. You know, sometimes we get hurt people get with hurt people so they can hurt together to convince themselves they ain't hurt no more. Right. To, to validate the hurt and go, oh, we we going through this too, but it's okay. Now nah, we gotta heal from this. It ain't it ain't, it ain't just okay that we both going through this dark path. Right, and both of them need some help. Tell Will Smith come holler at us, man. Come talk to some real. Hey, hey man, hey, we, hey, we got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, I tell you what, uh, I've enjoyed every moment of this. I've enjoyed being a part of it, man. I feel like royalty, man. Like I say, man, y'all, y'all, I listen to y'all podcast. Y'all help me get through 13, 14 hour days, man, and some of the conversation y'all done had, and just to be a part of it and to take part in it with y'all. Man, it's definitely a pleasure and an honor, and I thank y'all for taking the time to bless us with your presence. Once again, let everybody know where they can stream, listen, connect, all of that. Plug plug it all. All black men need therapy on all social media platforms um, and all anywhere you can find a podcast, all black men need therapy. And let me just go on record real quick, fellas, and say we're going to do this again. Cause I, 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 <laughs> I knew that was coming. Like I feel so bad, man, that I'm, I'm. Cause this isn't me. I'm normally texting them like, "Where y'all at? It's time to record." You know what I'm saying? That is true. <clears throat> so, I, so I really, I, I deeply apologize, man. And, and we gonna hop back on when, when y'all. See you good? Me, you know, you good? Right? It's and, totally understandable. You had business to handle. It's all good. In the words of Kevin Hart, you're making us look bad as a unit. <laughs> <laughs> And that and that's why I'm trying to repent, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna circle back, right? At some point, when it makes sense for everybody, we'll, we'll circle back, man. And um, because I mean, here's the deal, fellas, right? Yeah, those are all our handles. You can find us on at All Black Many Therapy. But here, here, I'm a firm believer, like we all need this shit. Like I'm just being honest, right? Whether you know formally or informally, right? We need it, and and how we go about doing it may may be different for everybody. You know, like right. Chief didn't go to therapy until we started this podcast. You know what I'm saying? Because he felt this was enough. And then after mm-hmm. going and dealing and having these conversations, he's like, all right, maybe I need to go seek a little bit more help. You know, and, and again, it's nothing to be ashamed about. We all need it. We all yes. need it on some level, on some level. So I'm, I, I'm, if you guys are willing to have us back, I'll, I'll be more than happy to, to return. Even if these chumps don't come, I'll be there by myself. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely most man absolutely most definitely we're gonna show you talk man let's give him a round of applause man <laughs> <laughs>
And I like, man, that's my one. That applause, it makes me feel whole right now. That's, that's good for a black man. Some applause. I think I'm bullshit. I'm already one of them tonight. Good. <laughs> and, and, and Larry, brag too, because Bell told us this was the first platform that they came on. 100%. So brag. Yeah. 100%. The, hey, the first podcast that they've been on, you guys. So listen, we're going to have fact. them back on, man. That's I saw fact. that. I saw that on uh, one of the one of the last podcasts that, that I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw Bell saying on the podcast that this was the first live one. So, like yeah. I say, man, I mean, thank first you. One, period. We, yeah, we never ever. appeared. We never appeared on. <laughs> it was on YouTube, baby. Yeah, we pulled <laughs> up. We appreciate the warm welcome too. Nah, you sure. know, most definitely, it's, most definitely. It's, it's YouTube, baby. It's, it's, oh, I can't wait to get us one of them, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I want that you talk thing too. I'm gonna put that in the middle of one of our episodes too. <laughs> okay, yeah, just, okay. just a, a random shout out. We're gonna have an issue with this. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yo, we definitely, we definitely, definitely appreciate y'all, man. I'm glad because this y'all forum is just like ours, man. Open conversation and dialogue and respectable, bro. So we can't ask for a better place to be, man. We got to go to the building, man, man. This is one of the guys, Coach Hayes. Biggest yes. dude in Utah, man. YouTube football, man. Coach Hayes out of Orlando, Florida, you guys. He on here with us, man. This dude, man, got over 20,000 followers, man. This is a great coach, man. He on here watching the, the podcast with us tonight. Coach Hayes, what's going on, man? What's up, Coach Hayes? He's a legend in the game. Legend in the game. Coach Hayes. With us tonight, Shout coach out. Hayes. Love you, bro. Love sure. you, Coach we, we football guys, so we, we we always appreciate a good football coach. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, Bell, let me tell you that time when they went and played Miami and got the dog shit beat out of them. He told me that <laughs> when we when we were setting things up, man. Bell Bell had told me he said, "Man, we we played Miami, but it didn't end too well." Yeah, I, I said <laughs> it wasn't really nothing. Bell? I played for UConn. I played for UConn. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't really nothing to talk about. Like that's when they had all the, they had the goats, man. They, you know, they had McGahee and. And um, Dorsey and and Will Ford and all the and, back then, the yeah, yeah, Sean yeah. Taylor. Like, so 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 y'all got y'all got that smoke from the greatest college football team of all time. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just some people say ninety five Nebraska, others no, say no. LSU. No, nah, no. Nah. No. No. They felt one in like six nothing for a minute, and then it was no. Yo, I'm I'm gonna tell you, um. I, my 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 last year coach was uh I graduated in 05. My last game was the Motor City Bowl. Um oh, which was 04. Um but yeah, man, it was it was a decent game. I, I ain't gonna hold you. Like I was young in my football career, and you know what? This is a good conversation. I'm gonna come back on, I'm gonna talk about this because my mental health played a part on on why I played the way I played against Miami that year. So that that's a good transition. We can have that conversation when I come back. I can talk all about that. And it, it was it's interesting. It's interesting. But you know, when you're in it, you don't know what's going on from a mental health standpoint. Right. You know, hindsight's always 2020. And um and we could have played better. I could have played better against them, but it was just the headspace I was in. You know what I mean? Mm. But um but yeah no they 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 that was the year it was an orange bowl. You know, that, that's when they were still playing in the orange bowl. And um 
it was dope. It was a good experience. And um and uh Vine dog shit. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. Actually, fun fact, that game. Um oh Matt Ashmi, that's my guy. Yeah, Matt, it's funny. Coach, he I'm I'm responding to Coach Hayes for those who are just mm-hmm. listening. Um Matt Ashmi, to, to Coach Orlando, he's a lunatic. Yeah, that was my coach too. Um <laughs> Matt Ashby's my guy. Matt Ashby just hit me up, actually, asking to come on the podcast. Matt is a good dude. I um I mentored Matt. I got him an internship at my company years ago. Small world, very, very small, small world. world, man. Very small. Um, world. but um, but yeah, I, I would I would I would love to come back on and blend in some some Miami football talk along with some mental health first experience. Okay. So. Most definitely. Okay. Most Gotta definitely. Cool. Yeah. Gotta be yeah. cool. Yeah. And if you guys in the city. On uh, November the 11th, we're gonna have the uh, Hurricane uh, Bash for the Georgia Tech versus uh, Miami. So we're going to that I think that's Pete's Atlanta, wedding so. day, ain't it? I think Perry Prentice get married on that day, no, Pete? 11 11? No, 5th. 11 5th. Okay. Oh, that, 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 that's the day we we, we going to skull drag Florida State. So, no doubt. Hey, get married, man. Get married. Get married, <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Y'all have to be in Atlanta. Definitely come through, man. You yes. Know, well, man, I got family it. out there. My boy just hit me up asking me when I was coming to Atlanta. Um, okay. going to be a bad trip. Chief, Chief, Chief wanted to get out to Atlanta anyway, yeah. didn't you? Actually, yeah, probably this week. I was I was thinking about going to see my grandma and then actually trying to fly over to Prentice from Atlanta. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna give you the number. Let's make it happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Y'all need to come down, man. Definitely. I like that. Hey, I like that. Yeah, I got a lot sure. of family out there too. Right, me too. Me too. Most definitely. Most definitely. All right, so we're going to hook that up. We're going to definitely hook that up, man, for you guys to come back on, man, if you would. So we would yeah, love it. for yeah. sure, man. Oh, this we definitely will, and we appreciate you, brothers, for I'm, having us. I'm suffering. Thank y'all. So I'm telling hey, y'all, y'all back. Prentice wasn't lying neither, man. He was on Arsenio Hall, man. Check him out. <laughs> <laughs> Prentice was with the dog pound. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's out here, man. That's what's up. Hey, That's what's up. Man, we appreciate you guys, man. Love you guys, man. Thank y'all appreciate so much, man. Appreciate you more. Hey, love is back in mutual, brother. We appreciate sure. y'all. Thank you. Yes, sir. Sure. Much love. Let's Much give love. Give a round of applause again, man. It's the Chief, man. Come on, Thank you. We do a little thing like this, fellas, man, before we wrap up, man. So y'all can follow suit, man, with us, man. Y'all know how we start every show. And you know how we end every show. It ain't no us. We throw it up like this, fellas. We got you. Bang. Got it. Boom. Without you, baby. Without you, baby. We out of here. Love you. Everybody have a good week. Take care. Love you guys. Love Love back at you. I'm right here. Check me out, Chief. It's, 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 it's Utah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Outro. <laughs>